This is an Area Code podcast. You're listening to Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Scarlett Hildebeidel talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron, and with me, as always, are Scarlett and Dave. Guys, we have a big topic to discuss, and we don't have a lot of time because Dave is a very important man, and Dave has meetings Yes, we all have meetings. All right. I'm just trying to fit everything in carefully into a box. And <laughs> that's right. Um, I love everyone. I want to make sure we do this because it's yeah. fun. I'd rather be doing hours of this. You know, I come to think of it, like, I'm amazed because he's such a good interviewer, even though I can't listen to three or four hours of this. But, like, how does Joe Rogan do it for, like, interview people that long? It's crazy. Yeah. I, I think know. it's a gift, a question asking gift. Some people are just so good at asking questions. You you have that gift too, Dave. Yeah, but to a degree, but I don't think I could go that long. I mean, there are some people you realize you forget your recording and you're just having a conversation about something that's interesting to both of you, but mm-hmm. that other person you're interviewing is an expert in it, um, or at least a perceived one. And so like, you just kind of keep going and you want to hear more. Yeah. So yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, but three hours worth, that's a, that's I something mean, right there. I mean, at that point, you've got to forget that you're actually having an interview or you're the most extroverted of extroverts in the world. And so being with someone and talking for three or four hours is absolutely life giving for you, where for us introverts, you know, three, yes. four hours and we're ready to die. Yes. So here's a question. I was listening to, um, oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry, no, I was no, on a no. delay, so I didn't know I was interrupting anyone. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh. Nope. Oh, I was I listening mean... to um, Conan O'Brien's podcast the other day. No, was it him? No, it wasn't. It was a different one. I forgot. It had, has Will Arnett on it. Anyway, um, he was interviewing Jimmy Kimmel, and they asked him if he still um, gets a rush being in front of people. And he's like, because he does it every day, you know, for so long. And he was like, no, there is no rush. There's absolutely no rush. So I imagine doing any kind of public thing, if you put in enough hours, maybe, I don't know, maybe you lose that. My mom's an actress and she still gets nervous. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done hundreds of episodes, hundreds of hours of podcasts now um, over the course of the last four years. I've done hundreds of videos now. And I'm still nervous in front of a camera and I still get a little bit jittery on (laughs) mic. So I think it's just me. Yeah. But like, so I I hear you. I don't think you need to be an extrovert to do what we're doing. Um, Because I think part of it, I know we're, we're like listeners, we are on zoom. So we're actually looking at each other. But they're like, there's like this electronic boundary. If we're in the same room, it would acquire another level of energy. I think it's like that additional notch. Totally. Um, well, what? Well, I'm going to challenge you on that, Dave, because actually, Zoom <laughs> takes more energy. And here's why. And here's why. 
Um, so not being in the room together, we are our brains are working extra hard to try to pick up the nonverbal cues that we give one another that we just see instantly when we're together in a space. <laughs> Dave is shaking I'm, his head now. I mean, Dave only gives faces. me nonverbal cues, and um, it's I'm you know a, usually I'm raising I'm fingers and bre- <laughs> <laughs> and uh, telling me to read between the lines. And yes. uh, but uh, it's out, you know, it's, it's out of love. I told a uh, a guy I, I do business with and I've worked with for a very long time. I said. You're that kind of person, that kind of friend that I want to hug and punch at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's Barnabas like, just break that. Kind of friends. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know what? Barnabas uh-huh. is, is one of those as well. Absolutely. He will make me so mad, but it doesn't mean I abandon him, nor does he abandon me. He just knows that I'm going to get a rise out of Dave and get him worked up about these things to where... He can't help but love me. That's what Barnabas is saying in his head. But he also wants to hit me. I'm going to get him to like physically hit me at some point. I had a friend in high school like this too. And like you can only take so many of those friends. But they're also there in the thick and thin. There's something about those types of people. And I was telling him that today. I said, there's just, you know, we saw each other at another friend's uh, spouse's wake. Sorry, this week. And I said, you know what? I didn't know you were still connected, you know, with that so-and-so person. And I said, I just think it meant a lot to you as a friend to be there, you know, to support your, your friend who's, uh, who's certainly had a very rough time. And uh, there's something about that. So, so, but I said, sometimes you got to punch that person too. So I don't know. There you go. (laughs) So what were we talking about? Introverts, online Zoom? Yeah, that's how we got there. Aaron said it takes more energy to be on Zoom, but I think it's so much easier to only be half in if you're on Zoom or half half mentally engaged. Well, and that's also part of the problem too is is when you're half mentally engaged, you have to work harder hmm. to uh, to could I could see that. I could see that. I can absolutely see that. Okay. Um, you know, you, you, uh, but you're absolutely right because you're also navigating a few like other messages coming at the same time too. The problem is we're on our computers and there's other things probably happening too. And I have to work hard to stay focused sometimes. Um, That's right. Like but, you're um, trying really hard to not watch YouTube videos like the Dune trailer right now. Well, because that just came out. And, and so everyone has seen that. I certainly hope, right? Scarlett, well, you have seen it. I have not seen it. Okay. So, so Dune is a fascinating, um, uh, has a fascinating story. There have been multiple attempts to adapt it from, from its original book form into, into film with mixed results. Um, the, the most well-known is the, um, I think it was David Cronenberg who directed it or was it Lynch? I feel like it's Lynch, but I, I, I get it confused because Kyle Lynch stars in it, right? The original, right? Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin. I said Lynch, right? Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, let's see. Here. This is real time research. I just um, typed in Dune and I see fire and a sword. So oh. I'm kind of like, mm. uh, so David Lynch wrote, uh, directed the 1984 adaptation of Dune that starred Kyle McLaughlin and sting oh wow yes he's, n- he's not just a bass player 
for a for a post punk <laughs> band. He he is a multifaceted man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, all right, so I did not like science fiction. That I was what I was six years old when that came out, but I don't remember watching it until probably a few years later. And I just I just thought it was ultra weird. Think about it, like you've got movies like Star Wars and E.T. and others that would be like E.T. is not a good example, but like point is like Star Wars and Star Trek are like the staples of that time. Mm-hmm. And then you got Dune. And you get things coming out of people's noses. You get a giant worm in the sand, oh, and you've oh got. I, well, yeah. I mean, it's. I'm. I'm, <laughs> I'm not ruining anything, am I? It's just. No. It's just. It's I just thought it was strange because I didn't. I just wasn't into that genre of yeah. story. Um, I, I still watch some of those movies. It just wasn't as enjoyable to me at the time. But this latest trailer in Scarlet, you have to watch it. It looks good, and it doesn't look nearly as weird. And the starring, the, the star is the dude from Little Women, right? Yeah, it's, Timothy Chalamet. Yes, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which, which we were oddly bothered by in Little Women, but also really liked him too. He was like an mm. interesting. Um, I love that movie. That's such yeah. a good movie. The well, new one and, and old um, one? the new the one, new the Greta Gerwig one. I haven't yeah. seen the new one yet, but I love the old one. I love that a bunch of dudes have seen it, but Scarlett has. I actually no, haven't I, seen man, it. I'm oh, you haven't? No. Oh, no. Okay. I will say about E.T., E.T. may be the thing that ruined me for the sci-fi genre of any really? movie, books, anything, because I was so terrified. So my grandma has a doll room to this day. She's 87. She's always had in whatever house she lived in a doll room. She collects dolls, and they're like hanging from the ceiling all around you really amazingly cool can also be really scary if you happen to be spending the night at grandma marlene's house and you are sleeping and dolls are staring at you and one of the dolls is et so i saw the movie and she had an et doll and it i think that that's why i'm very i have an aversion to sci-fi well the thing about the way that movie is and it's classic the way spielberg does things you recognize this in his movies but um um it's it's actually I'm not you're not I'm not so scared you're scared about what you don't see it's like what made Jaws great on accident it wasn't supposed right. to be that it's what you don't see in ET it's kind of the same thing you're a little scared when you don't see him but then you see him and you're like oh he's a friendly <laughs> alien right yeah and then what's also scarier is a, a Spielberg, Spielberg always has like something he wants to say about society and it's about the government <laughs> it's, what's scariest is the government. You know, in that they're the ones who are coming after them, and uh, um, and that's how the children are typically heroes in the story because of that. Um, but so with something like Dune, it's a whole other world and kingdom. Is it kind of like that classic story too of like kings and queens and kind of what makes Star Wars right? It's like this mythology that's familiar, but also new and adventurous, right? Yeah, it's it's much more of um honestly, it's much more of a messianic tale than it is um than it is the king and queen template. Okay. than it is anything else. Um right down to the fact that um in fact the one of the books, the second book in the series is called Dune Messiah. And so the first 6 books all have to do with um this guy Paul Atreides and he is you know, he's the heir to a, you know, a family that um, basically everyone is in the drug trade. 
um, <laughs> um, with this this drug called spice. His fa- his house, his family is betrayed. Um, he's sent. Um, uh, he is sent in, like runs off into the wilderness, and which is a desert on this planet um, called Arrakis. And becomes um, becomes this revolutionary f- figure that is known as Maudib. So and um, and he is and basically along the way, it's essentially said that he is he was there to fulfill all of these prophecies and and things like this and lead the people into a bold new era. Um, so it's pretty wild. Aaron, your 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 cord is getting caught in your pocket protector by the way right now i'm just oh good (laughs) that was the nerdiest most awesome description of dune ever and i and i look i thought no i thought it was great i mean scarlet and i are like nodding along and then we just start like then we're just kind of laughing you're just like you're like well that that's pretty much it that's okay but But here's the thing bad way it's it's in a good no No, can't you? I know you can appreciate passion, right? Yes, so, Aaron, yes. this is clearly more of Aaron's genre. Um, and what, what what started this conversation? I think we, uh, Scarlett, you texted us about uh, the three body problem. If everyone had read it yet, and I've read it, Aaron, you have not yet. No, I am struggling with it the same way that I am struggling with Lonesome Dove. So right now, it is a question of which one of those am I gonna am I gonna finish last. Okay. Okay. And Scarlett, you started it, correct? I started it on audiobook. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is just, a, it's a thinker. Um, wh- there was another book or movie that was described that way this week. I mean, Tenet is that way too, right? Other than like blowing your ears out, your eardrums out, uh, which I've not seen yet, but everyone keeps saying that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can't, since y'all haven't read it, it's, here, so, but, but here you're revealing what kind of makes me pause into getting into sci-fi. And this is why this is, this is an episode that's a prelude to a, maybe a better one in the future where we have a certain um, uh, house spouse. That's what we're calling him, <laughs> right? <laughs> Scarlett? Yeah. <house> <laughs> why don't you introduce, why don't you tell us, tell us a little bit about your book expert husband of this genre. He, we just got cable for the first time in a decade recently. And it was honestly only so the girls could watch cartoons so that our internet would work better because it's a whole thing when you live in a farm trying to get your internet to work. Um, But basically Brandon's only hobby since I've known him has been reading fantasy, epic fantasy books, occasional sci-fi. He'll read regular fiction too. But um, yeah, dragons and swords. And we had um, a friend, you all know him, Bill Um, Mm No. He was over recently and we had we had just put up a new bookshelf and what was it there were like several books one of them it was just like in all block letters one of them was wrath and one of them was like pain i forgot what it was but it's like he just reads these books that are other worlds and other creatures and i sometimes i'll just grab what's on his nightstand and read one paragraph and i'm like what i don't know what any of these words mean it's like i'm out i quit I'm out. I've tried a few of them, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, this is the this is the difficult thing with with sci-fi and fantasy is is um, as a category that's incredibly broad and it can mean multiple things. So there's different entry points for it too. So 
Um, Dune is honestly like that's not a, really a great entry point into the genre of sci, like into sh- sci-fi fantasy genres, because it's like you've you've kind of got to be cool with like you've got to be committed to basically like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna seriously do, give this this stuff a shot because yeah. with Dune for example you know it's it's in, involving. Um, you know, certainly some action adventure elements, but it's got mysticism, um, you know, like mysticism, religion, environmentalism, politics, the drug trade, everything is in, is in this series and it, and it gets weird, but it's a, but it's a really good thinky kind of like mind stretcher type of a series i'm pretty sure that frank herbert did a lot of drugs um back in the 60s when he was writing these books so why is it then um i I, here here's what i observe it may be incorrect as like a general uh or generality i've noticed that i think people seem more comfortable going to a sci-fi movie as opposed to investing and reading in the genre correct yes see that I do most okay. definitely, um, and part of that really comes down to the fact that sci- depending on the type of sci-fi it is, mm-hmm. I should say. So, um, so Blade Runner, uh, what was it? Blade Runner twenty forty nine that mm-hmm. came out uh, a couple years back. Yeah, no one went to see that, um, but it was a stunning piece of sci-fi. Um, it is very, it's a very different ask than either say a star Wars movie, which is really science fan, which is more of a fantasy story with spaceships. Yeah. It's a fantasy Um, and, and yeah. Yeah. And it's a Western (laughs) kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, um, or star Trek, which, um, you know, those, those have different asks of people. So with star Trek, particularly in the TV form, you you know you go in knowing what to expect, which is a lot of techno babble and heavy-handed moralism. Um, those are the things that you need to know when you go to a Star Trek movie. You generally get a fair, still a fairly handed, heavy-handed moral moralistic message, but with lots of ships blowing up at the same time. So, um, so those are, those are kind of the things that you, you go in expecting, but it has the trappings of it. So, um, and then, I mean, technically you can say a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy is a sci-fi movie. It's just a superhero sci-fi movie. Correct. Yeah. And it's a comedy. It's in the, yes, it's in the Marvel context from that particular world. Right. Uh, that's right. Galaxy Quest. Did you guys ever see that? No, but that's a comedy, right? It's a it's a comedy, but it's a sci-fi comedy. But it's also a comedy that's built out of fan culture and Star Trek fan culture specifically because it's the whole thing is riffing on um, the original series of Star Trek and making it great and funny as all get out to the point that people have said, like people who worked on Star Trek have said the best Star Trek movie ever made was Galaxy Quest. And, and I dig that, you know, it's primarily a comedy, but you can make the case that Bill and Ted's excellent adventure falls within the sci-fi genre as well. There's not a hard and fast rule on what makes sci-fi sci-fi. 
Mm. I'll tell you what my conversation with Brandon about sci-fi is usually comes okay. down to. Because I'll say, I can't get into something that's not believable. Like if, I, if I'm reading something and I cannot really, like this could happen to some, you know, if I can't, I feel like I can't get into the story if it's not believable. But his argument is, because we're both believers, um, you know, we believe in supernatural things. And so for him, it's like, how is it not believable? Like we believe that Jesus is going to come. I mean, this is, this is not a Brandon quote, but that's the thought process to him. He's like, no, this mirrors the supernatural reality, which we believe all sorts of crazy things, you know, and we believe in miracles and we believe, you know, and so that's true. But I guess I just like to read things that are, I don't know. So that's the, that's the little conversation we have in the house. And I can, I can read a sci-fi if I'm like, oh, I could, like I said, and not even one second after was not a sci-fi. Would, would you call that dystopian? Um, uh, Post-apocalyptic post fiction. Yeah. Like yeah. I could see the, how that could really happen. So I could get into that. But if they, if an elf flies out of a cloud, I'm like, okay, I'm out of this, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, I mean, th- this is the thing that's interesting about, about sci-fi is depending on what it is, um, and and I mean fantasy is is again is its own kind of animal altogether. Um, so the two get lumped together, but they're both but they're very different from one another um, in many ways. You know, a lot of people really love things like um, Isaac Asimov's work. So like I Robot, the a lot of, some people have seen the movie that's based on on his work. I could get into a robot um, movie because that's yeah. like, oh, yeah, people are building crazy yeah. technology. Yeah. Um, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey is is um, is hard sci- is really hard sci-fi. But there but there is but there is a difference. And actually, this is coming from the New York Public Library. That is the distinction between hard and soft sci-fi. So let me just share what how they've summarized huh. this. It's really, really helpful. So novels in the hard sci-fi category will heavily focus on the relationship of the narrative to to the technology or science of its setting. So the author is going to strive to make the science as accurate as possible using theories of chemistry, physics, etc. And this knowledge will be important to the story. Uh, For instance, a novel that delivers an exhaustive, in-depth explanation of how its spaceships operate um, or the geological composition of its host planet will likely fall under the hard sci-fi category. Um, It heavily promotes the science part. Um, So that's how they've summarized that. So three-body problem fits under that, I presume. Yes. Because, I mean, I was exhausted about the detail. Uh, going into those things and you all you too will as well (laughs) yeah uh yeah okay soft sci-fi is the opposite of that the 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 fantastical elements play a role but they are less important than the social and natural sciences within within it because soft sci-fi tends to be character driven where hard sci-fi tends to be technological driven, but those are not hard and fast rules because there's a blend uh, that happens in both. So which kind do you like better, Aaron? Honestly, I like soft sci-fi better um, because I like interesting characters more than I like. Honestly, I don't care about how the spaceship runs. It doesn't matter to me how the en- the Starship Enterprise works um, or how how faster than light travel happens. Um, so I don't have a pocket protector like that, Dave. Um, <laughs> um, 
I will okay. not I will not bring up contradictions in episodes and books and stuff like this because I don't care. But an example would be with the uh, on the soft side. So Star Wars fits into that because it's about characters, it's about that big grand yep. narrative being told. But would you argue that Oh no, when George Lucas started trying to explain too much when he did the prequel, like explain the that was him moving in. That was moving into yeah. um he was still kind of in the soft sci-fi, but he was but he was yeah. he was just it not doing a good job, period. Yeah, um, it wasn't a hard pivot, but it was enough. I'm like, what? I thought the force was just the force. I don't need to know any more about it other than yeah. it's mysterious. He moved, he shifted so from from pure soft sci-fi at that at that stage. Right. Now, um so I, I Isaac Asimov, um Arthur C. Clarke, they tend to lean into the hard sci-fi. You know, Philip K Dick is very um is kind of this weird mix. Um so he's like Blade Runner and um um, which you know was inspired by "Do Androids Sleep?" Uh, "Dream of Electric Sheep" is the short story that um, that that came out of. Um, that's one piece. Um, but uh, Arthur Conan Doyle also wrote stuff that was sci-fi. So "The Lost World" is um, is that, and Jules Verne's work was sci-fi. Um, Michael uh-huh. Crichton actually falls into the hard sci-fi a little bit more than most people would think because he talks about the technical elements so much and they matter yeah. so much. Yes. Um, where um, Douglas Adams and Andy Weir, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and The Martian. Mm-hmm. I liked that um, one, The I did Hitchhiker's too. Guide. The Martian is great. The book is fantastic. I agree. And the They're- movie's really good. Yeah, they're both so fun. Good. I yeah. love them. I lo- it's very rare you thoroughly enjoy both right. mediums. Um, yeah. Those, um, I would say that even even understanding the comedic elements of it, um, the Martian gets real close to is about as close to the uh, a perfect blend of hard and soft sci fi as you can get. Yeah, because the technical elements really really matter to the story, yes. but the people are still primary and you don't feel uh, incredibly dumb when he's explaining it to you even though they talk a lot of numbers days yeah. or souls uh you know in terms of the days and mars yeah. um so i never felt like it was completely over my head now i've rewatched that five or six times now so um but i it like i said you're i think you hit it it's a nice blend i agree yeah um yeah, I think it, you know, the near, what do they call it? Near distant future uh, books, right? Isn't yeah. that what they call that? Yeah, I, I think in fact, because that, that movie is like set 20 years from now or maybe yeah. 15. And I think it's great because like, oh, I can envision this. NASA's talking right. about this right now. And I'm, that made me that much more interested in it. And uh, I know Artemis is his follow-up book, which I enjoyed as well. It's going to be a little bit hard, more difficult to do, I think. But I think it, it'll be good. Um, you know, it's all about a colony on the moon. And it's a great book. Yeah, but it's but it but but you're right. Like at the end of the day, you're in in the Martian. You're cheering for Mark Watney, every bit of him, and you're entertained by him. Whereas in Artemis, you're cheering for I can't remember her name. That's terrible, but she's great character, and um, you you're cheering for her to survive, figure out the you know. Yeah, and the character. Um, did you did you read the book or did you listen to the audio book? I read the book. Okay, there you go. 
So the audiobook is is narrated by Rosario Rosario Dawson. I saw that, and I she did. does a great job with it. It's so good, so much fun. Yeah. Okay. So if mm -hmm. I typed in near distant future books, that's a whole. <laughs> Like what? What would you type in to find that, that on Amazon? Is that what I would type in? Because I'm I'm into that. Oh gosh. Um, Not into it. Interested in being into it. <laughs> you know, the best thing to do will be to look at our show notes when uh, when this okay. episode is done. So I'll throw in some some recommendations there. So because you know what we need to do now, we need to make a transition here and talk about what we're reading. Yeah. Because Dave's got to go and be a very important businessman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, do you, do you want to hear? Yeah, stop it. <laughs> well, Dave, we love you. Um, it's just I don't have meetings for the you, rest of the day. You don't love us, but we love you. I love you all so much. No. This just happens to be I think a weird I speak day. for us and the listeners when I say. Uh, uh, I know. Cat lady, Cat lady Dave is, yeah. You said it. Just, we didn't. I know. Um, <laughs> I just finished um, the R ride of a lifetime, the uh, Bob Iger uh, memoir about his time at Disney being CEO. It is a thoroughly entertaining read um, with yes. I know Aaron and I, we talk about our love of leadership books all mm. the time. Not true at all. Mm. Uh, no, but this is like, it's fascinating from a business point of view of how he makes how he made deals most notably i think we know pixar and marvel and star wars those are his three big acquisitions as ceo now 20 20th century fox too um which is his latest and i just i first of all he's very likable um but also what i learned and what i really liked about how he made deals is i mean we love all of those brands right and there's a reason, and he's found a way to acquire something that's very valuable, but he stresses all the time, the value we are acquiring is the people. And we have to give them their space to be able to do what they do well, while also utilizing this vast power of what Disney can do to be a megaphone for that. And so it's just like he recognized that perfect blend. You're not acquiring an asset. It's more than that. It's everything that goes into the process, the field, the creativity, and all of them, like the concessions he would make with those deals that are now public are fascinating. And it gets down to something very personal with all of them. It's something that mattered to Steve Jobs um, more than someone else would. It wasn't just about a dollar amount. What mattered to um, uh, you know George Lucas, which is a fascinating one, and then of course, uh, what's his name? Who owned Marvel? Aaron, you would know. Um, I can't remember his name now. But but all of them were just. I just think I, you don't have to be interested in business, yeah. but to know to appreciate kind of why we love those brands and continue to, which is mm -hmm. important. I think that there's, and, and also he realizes, boy, it's so hard. You work so hard to please a core fan. And I mean, he talks a lot about force awakens, as you can imagine of how hard that is to appease George Lucas and fans and everyone else. And you do the best you can. Ultimately he did create a successful movie and ultimately a successful next trilogy. And uh, it was a good bridge. From a financial perspective, yes. From a financial perspective, yes. He said he wasn't, he was, <laughs> but um, Aaron's shaking his head, listeners. No. Um, it's just from a storytelling perspective, it was a hot mess. Yeah. 
and he's, um, that's fine. He's, he's swimming in an Olympic-sized pool of cash, not just a bathtub of cash, but an Olympic-sized pool of cash. <laughs> that's true, and I am not, and so we can choose to reinterpret <laughs> how I feel about that from whatever perspective you wish. Yes, <laughs> yes. There we go. All right, Scarlett, what do you got? I'm afraid I'm going to be really boring in this segment until my big deadline in two weeks. Um, I started uh, to listen to the three-body problem, but my whole life is commentaries and writing Bible study um, paragraphs and questions until October 5th. And then I will be, I will be taking a nice long um, fiction, uh, what do you call it again? Near future. What near, dis- call it? near distant okay. future. Sure. Speculative fiction. Future binge. I'm gonna have so many interesting things to say in just a few weeks, but for right now, it's just deadline. That's okay. That's okay. I mean, I know what deadlines are like. We've got all kinds of crazy stuff that we're dealing with here too. Um, I am currently, in addition to working on um, the on Lonesome Dove and the Three Body <laughs> Problem, um, I believe I'm on page 83 now of uh, Lonesome Dove. So there we go. One more page, one more week. Oh, one page. One page a week. There we go. (laughs) How do you even remember what's happening in the story? I don't even know anymore. Um, You're just going to let your eyes hit every page. (laughs) That's really the, that's, that's how you read, right? So no, I, I, I actually do have a pretty good memory for picking up where I, where I left off. I try to leave it natural start, stop points. And, uh, and that happens to be one page at a time. Yeah, well, you can't stop not in the always. middle of a chapter or a middle of a scene or something no. like that. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, and so so I've got that going on, um, but I'm also working on uh, Craig Johnson's Any Other Name, which is continuing on with the Longmire books and having a great time with that. So... So there we go, guys. We did it. We got a nice short episode in this week. It was great to see you all on on the Zoom. Um, hopefully, we can eventually maybe think about actually doing a podcast in person again in the future. Yeah, that. We, we talked that. about doing that. <laughs> we did, and then we all just didn't. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, it's it's hard because school's back in session. It's hard, man. Yes. It's you're on deadline. Yeah. It's all it's all a lot right now, but that's right. Someday. Dave has meetings and <laughs> we're gonna do it here. It's gonna be a little echoey, but if we bring our it's microphones, fine. all is gonna be well. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. So Dave, make sure you bring your microphone. <laughs> I've been pretty consistent lately. You have Thank been. You. you have okay. been. You've got your yeah. settings set well and, and I love it. All right, guys, thanks for hanging out. And uh, listeners, you know what to do. Five-star ratings and review all around. Uh, Enjoy the sci-fi recommendations in the show notes, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. This is an Area Code podcast.